This Quadcast podcast is brought to you by the book Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree. For too long, people of faith have focused more on pointing out where other religions get it wrong. But what if we decided to focus more on all the ways those other religions get it right? This path might end up leading us into deeper understanding, connection, friendship, and peace. This was the idea behind the book that Choir Publishing and Pathios decided to assemble, gathering voices from different religious backgrounds who have learned to listen to those outside their own faith traditions. We hope that the wisdom they share with us here allows you to become more open to the truth and beauty to be found outside your own faith community. Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree, from Choir Publishing and Pathios, available now on Amazon. How can you be part of a religious community that straight up Sometimes it feels like the church is trying to hold The church on. seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to get answers, I would but they never don't even be a know part the questions we're asking. The church is the most vocal political voice against immigration. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual thing. Do you understand how ridiculous that is when the majority of people on the church end up going to hell? Like, how is that actually It seems like so much of the church is Anti-critical thinking, homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. (sighs) The church needs therapy. Now, number three, in this space of unknowing and uncertainty, this is where faith and trust actually matter. When you're in a season, it's like summer, things are growing, they're smooth, it's cool, you're in a flow, you got a routine, the teams are cooking, you're doing well. You don't really need faith and trust in a God who is active in this world when you're there, right? You're, you got it. You know, you're, you, you're, in a, you're in a routine, you're in a flow, you're not desperate for guidance, you're not needing to trust that God is carrying you through because you kind of got it. But when these liminal, in-between, uncertain spaces kick in, this is when I say it's not beliefs you carry about God, but it's the belief you are being carried by God. Right? You feel the difference there? It's not abstract beliefs. I believe this about Jesus. I believe he was the son of God. I believe in the virgin birth. Or I don't believe in the literal resurrection. I don't believe, I believe there is no God. On one level, these are abstract beliefs that don't really affect our day-to-day life. No, I'm talking about the concrete spirit on the ground of your real life kind of beliefs. Like, am I going to trust that if I take this massive risk, I am going to be okay on the other side. When, I don't even know when the other side kicks in. I don't know where the other side is. I don't even know if there is another side. But am I going to trust and surrender control and voluntarily step into this place of uncertainty? That, and trust that God will carry me through. That is real faith. That is what trust feels like in a transformative kind of way for us. Because, like, think about a couple questions. Why is the space of uncertainty so hard? You probably have your, you know, you have answers to that. Why is this in-between space of unknowing so scary? 
right? What is so hard about being in that in-between space? Right. Let me, I will say one thing. I think there's, there's many, there's a lot to that, but I'll say two things because there's an answer about why it's so hard in the present in a place of uncertainty and why it's so hard when we think about the future. So there's two parts to that. I want to talk about one is the present and one is the future. So I'll tell you another story because I've just been in so many, I've stepped in, I've risked and stepped into uncertainty so many times in my life because of my faith and trust that I've, I've been on this terrain many times and I've experienced my inner life through it. So when I, I moved to Hawaii at 18 years old, right after I graduated high school, my girlfriend at the time had already gone to school here at University of Hawaii. I had horrible grades in high school. I didn't take my SATs, didn't even take biology. I, don't even, I didn't even take algebra. It was like me and all the kids are like, just put them in the stoner classes and just give them Ds to pass basically so we don't have to hear from them, right? So I couldn't even, I didn't even apply to any four-year colleges. So I come out here, I go to a junior college, my girlfriend's here. I love her. I want to make it work. Now she's my wife. What an amazing story. It did work. That's really cool. I love her. And uh, we got two kids out here. It's a, like, again, unfold your own myth. Life and our stories are all amazing. Your story is more amazing than you think. If we can really map it out. I want you to know that your story is worth telling and it's an amazing one. So I mo- when I moved here, I let go of everything I ever did and knew. It wasn't one change that happened. It was everything changed when I moved here. All, and here's an important thing. All of the ways I used to get my ego needs met where I grew up were gone. Because growing up, it was sports, music, drugs, hip hop. That was like the world I was in. And my, my role in all that in music and in sports was... What drove me more than anything was trying to get attention. Be the best basketball player so people can tell me I'm great. If they tell me I'm great, it makes me feel valuable for a second. It doesn't last. Now I have to go and work for the applause of people every single day of my life. We all have some version of that to some degree. Some of us are more oriented towards power. Some are more oriented towards security. I was, I'm more oriented towards attention. So... Everything I ever did, basketball, music, everything I could do to get attention, all the time I put in to build up a status and an image so people knew me, it's all gone. I walked away from it all. I was so tired of it all. I knew it wasn't working. It was making me just sick. It was making me exhausted and frustrated, and I was over it. So now, when I moved to Hawaii, as a person who pretty much gave all of their energy to trying to get people to see me, because that was about affirmation and value. When I came here, nobody saw me. Nobody praised me. Every single day, I was essentially invisible out here. When you think about status, like the only thing people could have said was, oh, you're Christine's, you know, boyfriend, because she was out here a year ahead of me, right? That was like, oh, you're Christine's boyfriend. But other than that, Nobody was praising. None of these people knew about this image I had built up. They didn't know, oh, in music, you know, I've, you know, I I went to this hood and I did this and, you know, I made this happen or I was around these people. No, nobody knew that and nobody cared. 
Nobody knew, oh, you know, my senior year, I'm one of the top scorers in Southern California and I played with this person and did this and we know, no, none of that existed anymore. It was all gone. And every single day I was invisible, which means each day became another opportunity out of this sense of nothingness that I got from other people when it comes to attention. Every day was an opportunity when I was not seen by others to ask myself the question, is me being seen by God enough? Because that's what my awakening experience was at 18. My first experience of God is I'm deeply seen and loved by God. And that is the realest thing I've ever experienced because I didn't have to do anything. There's no element of performance. I didn't have to try hard. I didn't have to do anything. The experience of being seen and loved directly from God is what changed my life. And I wanted to give my life to that. So, But every day now, but that's on a day-to-day basis, that's not easy to trust, is it? Every day nobody saw me, forced me to ask the question, is me being seen by God enough? Is me being loved enough? Which is another, which is another form of me asking, am I enough? Just me, right? Without the success, without the image, without whatever cool I thought I was, am I enough? I came out here, I felt invisible, and even though it was the hardest thing, I knew it was the best thing for me to be freed from all of the ways needing to be seen and affirmed by others was controlling me and keeping me from being free. A lot of the, when we're in places of uncertainty and our old roles are gone, our old ways of getting our ego needs met are gone, our old routines and relationships, jobs, visibility, everything that comes with that, relationships. In the present, one of the things that's hard about uncertainty and unknowing when we move away from that is a lot of the present stuff is about value. It's about identity. It's about us resisting the urge to return to the old ways we used to get our ego needs met, like relapsing into old patterns we don't want to go back to. A lot of the uncertainty is about refusing to betray our own authenticity and continuing the journey into a place of just trusting that we're enough. Because when I was out here at that time, I would be tempted and I would fall into that, like, I am who I am now, but I also am going to artificially steer this conversation so you basically know like I was gangster before this, right? Because it was like, that's all I had. So I was like, yeah, I'm trying to get sober now. I'm not getting high. I'm not doing all this. I'm not playing basketball. But like, I want you to know that I was though. I was, I was getting it like that. I was the man, but now I'm not. I, a part of me at times wasn't ready to just be the new thing. I had to make sure people, and that was just still my ego trying to get people to see me as special or as interesting or whatever it was that I wanted. So when we're in that place in the present, when we talk about value and identity, it's, well, who am I without that job? Who am I without that relationship? What am I without that attention? What do I do without that routine and that visibility and the people who looked up to me. What am I? Who am I? Am I valuable? Am I anything? Am I worth being around without the status my previous season carried? 
it's like, or for some people, you know, when in a social media, you know, competitively driven thing, it's if I, if I take time without producing as much, working as much, being less relevant to others, will I still be okay? Will I still be me? Right. Some of the first questions we ask when we're in a season of letting go or grieving or healing or waiting, especially when it comes to our work, is these moments where we're not working as much or putting our work on display as much publicly as we used to. There's these questions that rattle around deep within of will people forget about me? Will they move on? Will I still be able to get back to my position of relevancy? right? Those types of things, right? These are normal questions, but they are still the questions of the insecure ego worrying about how others view me, still giving other people the power to define me and still hyper-focused on sustaining my image in front of people who I have allowed to give me my value in ways that is not theirs to truly give, which is why the real transformative questions are not, can I get back to where I was? Or will I still matter to others? Or will I still be relevant? No. The real questions are, do those things even matter when it comes to the immovable center of who I truly am in Christ? Th those questions say nothing about the substance of who I am. And actually, my concern with those questions is at the core of the problem of what was driving me in the first place. We're, so we, we ask, am I okay in the darkness without all of that? The darkness is the uncertainty, the unknown, right? Because it feels very dark. And, and then also, so that's the present. That's one element of it. The other thing is about the future. Not just am I okay in the darkness, meaning am I enough here? But we're also asking, am I okay? And is there life after this darkness? So here's just, this is like one thought about the future and how we relate to the future while we're in a place of uncertainty. Okay, so there's this ancient story. By the way, before I move on, are you tracking with me on this path so far? Is any of this resonating with you? Does the description of the terrain of uncertainty and the interior universe within you during moments of uncertainty, are you feeling what I'm putting out there? Is this resonating with you? And whether you're in a season of uncertainty or just know what it's like to be in those, because these are really important spaces to learn how to navigate well for the sake of growth, for the sake of transformation. So I just wanted to pause for a second. Now, there's this ancient story of the Israelites traveling to their new and promised land after they had been delivered from slavery from Egypt. After they were liberated, they went on their journey to new life that God had promised them. Famous story, of course. The Egyptians were chasing them and becoming a threat to their new dreams for a liberated life. The old patterns we're coming back and trying to get them to return. Think about how much that makes sense. The old patterns, the old ways, the old system was trying to catch up to them in order to bring them back to the same thing that they wanted to be liberated from for so long. 
when this happens, fear starts to like ripple through the Israelites. Like a, it's like a collective wave. And when this happens, they start to panic and they lashed out their leader, Moses. Cause when things are hard, if we don't know how to feel our own feelings and express them vulnerably, what do we do? We find people to blame, get mad, find ways to cope with it. It's, it's, this is nothing new. <laughs> like I said, our experiences happening when happen within much larger experiences. And when people were mad, this is how Moses responded from Exodus 14, 13 through 15. Moses answered the people, quote, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. I'm going to return to this. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then he goes on. And God speaks to Moses, right? Verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. So Moses answers the people. Then Moses talks to God, like, and then God tells Moses, tell the Israelites to move on. Here's why this story is so important. The people leave slavery and they begin moving forward with their new life. While they're moving forward, they begin second guessing and doubting and starting. They start to want to go back, even though it was slavery. They want to go back because the Egyptians are chasing them. Moses tells them not to be afraid that they're going to be delivered, that God is going to fight for them and that God tells the people. Then God tells them to move on. Right. It's a really interesting story because through Moses, God essentially tells the people to be still and move on. He tells them to be still and move on at the same time. Being still and moving forward for me somehow defines the heart of the body that lets go of any need for control, but still chooses to risk, create, and stay in motion. To be still like to, to be still and move on at the same time. It's really interesting. And to be still in verse 14 is the Hebrew word haras. This word can mean to be silent, to hold your peace, to rest, or to be quiet. So it did not just mean not to speak. It was actually about a form of inactivity and allowing something to happen. God tells the people to be silent, to hold their peace, and to resist taking control of anything that was not theirs to do. And once this is established, God then tells the people to move forward, which teaches us that you can be calm and courageous. You can be at peace and still be empowered. You can feel free and still be able to fight. Being still and moving forward at the same time is about entrusting everything to God, surrendering the outcomes, letting go of the need to control your future, and then immediately after making the decision to keep moving forward. So when this happens, think about this. My heart is still because I surrender control to God but my body is in motion because I take ownership of my life. And that is such an important story in times of uncertainty, because if you're ever wondering, 
about waiting around in the darkness and sort of trusting and think, I don't know where this goes. I'm not sure how this is going to work. I have real bills and responsibilities in a real life. Here is a thought to have. Remember this, I can focus on projects without trying to force the entire process. So in that space of uncertainty, there's still things to do, right? You don't just stop doing everything. I can focus on projects without having to force the entire process. So in my own journey the past 18 months, right, we announced Imagine's closing last January. We do another five to six months of gathering. Really eat, really simple. Sunday nights at our house, probably five to 20-ish people drinking, eating, talking about Imagine the future, whatever. It was a great time. But it was very not demanding, to be honest. I didn't really prepare anything. We just had intentional conversations. And But during that time, since last January up until now, I was done doing the old thing. I wasn't yet fully into all of my new things, but I still had work to do, right? I was in between big life thing, like life uh, vocational vehicles, but I still had work to do because during that time, I'm, I was still writing. I'm still promoting my books that are coming out. I mean, during that time, I probably did like 50 podcasts of other people's because in that space of uncertainty, the point is not to sit around and not do anything. No, the point is me doing what is mine to do without trying to grind and force and do what is only the spirits to do. That's why the important questions in places of uncertainty is, what do I put my hands on? What do I keep my hands off when it comes to work? What do I take responsibility of? What do I have the courage to resist? When is the work essential for this season of my life? And when is my desire to work more and be busy just an avoidance of the hard space of unknowing that comes from being still? And as time went on, I started to gain some clarity through my time of uncertainty of what I wanted to do in the future, of where I was going, of what I would give my energy to, to, to do. And so when I knew there was work for me to do as the season of uncertainty began coming to an end, this is really just the past three months or so, okay, what, what is mine to do right now? And I'm in a big season of uncertainty. I'm still facing unknown of the future. But it came to a point where I'm like, okay, I'm going to set up my own LLC so I can start seeing people one-on-one -on -one for spiritual direction. Okay, that's one thing. And by the way, setting up an LLC is not that hard. You know, starting companies and nonprofits feels overwhelming. It's I'm telling you, it's not that complicated. You could do one tomorrow and it could probably be done by Monday or maybe sometime sooner. Okay, here's another thing. In the midst, of what's what's mine to put my hands on? I'm going to change a part of my website. Well, I had a, I built a website. A friend of mine did. My guy Larry. Um, at uh, Lifted Creative Studio based in Honolulu, Hawaii. Shout out to him. So what is mine to do? I'm going to build a website. Get ready for this new season. Then I'm going to change my website at one point to make people know I'm making myself more available to do more, more weddings. That's one decision. What can I put my hands on? That's good. I'm just giving you a feel for this. 
but there's a larger season of uncertainty still present. Oh, I'm going to pitch to my publisher an idea for a compilation book I had about everyday mystics. Okay, I can do that. I'm writing my third book in this process. Okay, I can do that. And by the way, that all sounds like a lot more work than it is. I've had more free time the last 18 months than I have had in a, a decade. But even as I was putting my hands on things, I still had this sense there was also one more thing in the future I was going to be a part of. Right? It's this is this is where some of the nuances and complexities of being in this in-between space really works itself out. There's like one, I had this desire to be a part of another communal and collaborative project or organization or effort to work for the common good, justice, healing, etc. I knew I didn't want to just do things on my own. So it's like writing, solo thing. You know, so one on, spiritual direction, one-on-one. Weddings, that's just sort of, it's not a all-the-time type of thing. It's sometimes. So I'm like, these are all good, and I want to do them. But there's another thing I'm still waiting for, right? So I'm sensing there's something else coming, but I don't know what it is. And I use that word sensing intentionally. I don't use the word no, because when you're sensing and feeling and thinking, yes, I think God has this other thing for me. I think this other thing's coming. I don't know with certainty. That's what you have to accept in, in the places of uncertainty is there is no certainty. You cannot control everything. No, I'm sensing and feeling and intuiting and believing and finding and desiring my way through and knowing there's one more vocational thing that helps tie all the other ones together. I just don't know what it is yet and I can't force it. I'm, I'm putting my hands on some things, but I'm still holding this place of uncertain, uncertainty to allow this other thing I'm sensing is coming to fully emerge in its own time. That is the work of uncertainty. That is the be still and then still move forward. I am moving forward. I, I feel like I need to do these things now. But I'm still, I'm still waiting. I'm still entrusting because there's something else coming that I can't miss out on and I can't force my way into it. So while I'm focusing on other projects, I'm carrying this desire and sense with me and believing and trusting it will reveal itself and emerge if I keep holding this space of trusting God into the unknown. I don't, I'm not trying to short circuit the process. I don't want to flip the light switch on too quickly while I'm moving through the dark because these spaces of uncertainty just, they take time. You can't speed, we can't speed up a dark night of the soul. You can't flip the light switch on too early when you're walking through the darkness. You can't control how everything is unfolding. No, there's your role to wait and trust. You put your hands on what is in front of you. What, what work do you need to do? But also I'm putting my hands on this while I'm refusing to take control of the entire thing. We're finding our way through the uncertainty. And I'll tell you, I'll, I'll finish by telling one more story. I, this was a few months ago as I was approaching. This is the first time I'm publicly starting to launch anything since we closed down Imagine. 
letting people know, which really started simple, letting people know I'm doing weddings, making myself available for, for spiritual direction one-on-one. It's not everything, but these are the first projects and I sense it's time. I'm ready to do these things. I think it was around that time I went to a park near my house. It's a park right on the water. And I go there. I'm like, let me spend some intentional time in silence. I go sit on these rocks. And right when I sit on, you you ever have those moments where you're creating this little pilgrimage and you're going to, I don't journal, but I just spend time in silence and talk. But it's like those moments, like I'm going to carve out this time. I'm being good. I'm being intentional, right? I have discipline. I'm going to go to this place. I'm going to do this thing, this very spiritual thing. I'm going to be aware and awake of whatever. And something happens that just ruins it. Oh, those moments are frustrating. But if you let them happen, they're just hilarious. Because of course, things are going to go wrong in that moment. Of course, it's going to be harder than you thought. It doesn't ruin the moment. It's just a reminder that even as you're growing and making great decisions, shit still happens because that's how life is. So those moments that are maddening can also be hilarious. It's like a cosmic practical joke where you and God and the spirit and life are all like, Yep, that that would happen like this. And you kind of just laugh. And it helps you be present, actually, if you can embrace it. So I go there, set up on the rocks. I'm having my little moment looking at the water. And right when that happens, it starts to rain. And we live in Hawaii. It rains a lot. It starts to rain. And I did have an impulse to just like leave. Get up, go find shelter. Moments over. Joke's on me. And I just said, no. No, I'm not leaving. I'm just going to sit in the rain. And as I sat there in the rain, within probably five minutes, maybe less, I really don't remember, This it starts to break. So it's like half of the sky is clouds, half is sunny. And it was the biggest and most vibrant and closest rainbow I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, I could see it in the water in front of me. Like it was a thick... If someone's looking from two miles away or however, like this, I'm, I'm, I'm like almost there in the rainbow, right? And I'm looking at the most vibrant rainbow I've ever, like in closest I've ever seen. Maybe not vibrant, but closest and huge I've ever seen. And I sit with that for a second as I think maybe as it starts to dissipate, I kind of forget. I walk away from where I am and I start walking towards the edge of the park and As I'm walking towards the edge of the park, at my back is all of the clouds, all of the gray that's maybe moving in that direction. And in front of me is mostly sunny, lit up, bright sky, right? I'm walking away from all of the clouds and I'm walking towards the light. That was a very, very, very symbolic an important moment for this entire experience for me. Because one of the things after 10 or so years of leading and pastoring and the thought of beginning again, one of the things that's really hard is the thought of dealing with relational conflicts again, the thought of dealing with just the messiness of real relationships in life. Because you go through so much pastorally it's hard to let your heart heal enough to say, I can embrace the hard parts of 
organizations, people, relationships to fully throw myself back in again. That's not just for pastors. That's for all of us. That's a hard thing to accept, especially when you've been hurt and had your heart broken enough. And that was something that took me time to heal and to prepare for and to really accept and embrace of I'm no longer... It's no longer freedom through avoidance, but the freedom of the future comes through acceptance of the hard things. And we have to let our heart go at its own pace when we do that. But that moment was so symbolic because when it started raining, instead of leaving, because rain represents like a bad thing, an uncomfortable thing, I said, no, I'm not leaving. I'm just going to accept it. And it was only through the accepting of the rain that the light, the light eventually broke through and allowed me to sit with the closest rainbow ever. And that, to me, it symbolized like I'm for the first time in 18 months or, or however long, I'm ready to embrace all of the hard parts of, of living my life out loud again after the in-between space. And then when I turn away and start walking, it's like, oh, I'm for the first time walking into the light, feeling like, I'm ready for whatever life brings me. I'm not going to, I'm not avoiding. I'm not, I'm not just only healing anymore, even though I'm still healing. I'm not, this is the first time I'm like, if I put myself out there and keep going, I'm ready for anything that comes from it. And I wasn't, my heart wasn't in a place to say that for a very long time. And and that's the last thing about uncertainty is like for me, that healing I needed, that time of rest, that time of clarity, that time of waiting, that time of trusting, that time of moving through the darkness and still trusting that I'm safe. I couldn't force that healing. I couldn't speed up that process. I had to that the time I had to allow time and the spirit to do their work in me to prepare me for whatever is going to come in the future. I really wasn't ready for that for 18 months. In those in-between spaces, we need to be loved back to life. And that just takes time. And now after all that, I'm getting ready to begin what I feel like is another 10-year chapter. And hopefully in the next few months, I'll have an update. But that other thing, three months ago when I started the new projects, there was one more big thing I sensed was coming. And I, I am in a place right now where something is actually concretely happening that I'm sensing might, and I don't know for sure, I'm in a place of uncertainty, right? But I'm sensing might be that next 10 year thing. And if it is, it's like genuinely like a dream come true. And trust is, you know, walking through the darkness and still trusting that I'm loved and that I'm safe and that somehow things are going to work out. So yes, maybe I will break this down into two episodes because that was about an hour because apparently I had a lot to say about that. But uncertainty is my specialty. And even if it's not your specialty, I hope it becomes more comfortable. You become more familiar, more trusting, more free and more filled with joy in the process.